Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Disrupted Workforce Podcast. We are your hosts, Nate Thompson. And I'm Alex Schwartz. And we're super excited to launch this new podcast. So why are we here? If you're anything like us, you're wondering how this disruption, such as the coronavirus pandemic, the 2020 recession, AI, and emerging technologies are going to reshape and reimagine the way we work and live. Over the past seven weeks, 95% of Americans have been ordered to stay at home, and some states are beginning to reopen. But 33 million Americans have filed for unemployment, and businesses are racing to figure out where they can cut back, modify, automate, and get support to survive. We think it makes sense to have a candid and broad conversation about this work, this workforce of tomorrow and what it must look like today, and how we can evolve to meet these new challenges and opportunities, both purposefully and with true humanity. Through interviews, data, and stories, we will illuminate what's happening, what it means, and what to do next to survive and thrive in this exciting but also daunting new future. In our first episode, we will focus on some of the challenges of sheltering in place and the pitfalls and opportunities of being so reliant on our technologies, sharing seven actionable ideas to set up better boundaries and behaviors for more meaningful connection and self-care during these unprecedented times. And as we all know, if we lose our health, everything else crumbles. So it makes sense to start with self-care. My favorite quote about the importance of self-care is one cannot pour from an empty cup. You know, Alex, our listeners probably want to know more about our backgrounds before we begin. A hundred percent. So guys, here's what you need to know. Nate and I have both been working in large organizations, specifically with disruption, technology, and transformation work for many, many years. And we've also both been doing various forms of coaching for personal transformation through volunteer and contribution work. We're also both parents, and we're watching how all this is affecting our kids. And we realize how significant this moment is in terms of how it's impacting our careers, organizations, families, relationships, and communities. So we couldn't sit back and do nothing. We feel compelled to explore, illuminate, and shepherd this conversation. And as John Naisbitt, who is an American author and public speaker in the area of future studies, said, the most exciting breakthrough of the 21st century will not occur because of technology, but because of an expanding concept of what it means to be human. Now, if you guys want to hear more about our backgrounds and why we feel called to start this podcast, stick around and we'll share a little bit more at the end. Yeah, that human peace and human connection is so critical. Alex, tell us why, uh, you know, it is so important to be talking about human connection and self-care right now. A hundred percent. So, so let's start with a few stats, right? There's a 2020 study by healthcare company Cigna, and that showed that 47% of Americans lack meaningful interpersonal connection and often feel alone, left out, and that loneliness is actually equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, this study was done before coronavirus happened, and a KFF study released earlier this month showed 45% of Americans feel coronavirus is impacting their mental health. And the study finds survey done just on April 7th showed that 72% of Americans say they expect to reach, quote unquote, a breaking point by mid-June if stay-at-home orders aren't lifted. Let me rephrase that. 72% think they're going to reach a breaking point in less than six weeks. And 16% already feel that they've reached that breaking point. 
So when you think about what's happening right now, there's some extreme paradoxes. On one hand, Nate, I know you and I were really upset by this image of the hundred year old man who is celebrating his birthday alone. This guy is totally isolated, sheltering in place, no friends around, heartbreaking. no Zoom party. Yeah. Yeah, uh, totally heartbreaking. Yeah. And he's achieved this enormous milestone, but he's not celebrating it with his friends and family. And, you know, this example totally sticks out for me because, you know, my grandmother actually lived to be 100 years old and we were all with her on her birthday. Now, the flip side of this is that there are millions of American families that are spending more and more time together than ever. I mean, Nate, you and your family are like the perfect example of this, right? And I was just talking to a friend about her sister, who is this high-powered consultant, and her husband is a hardworking lawyer, and they're really struggling with the work-life balance and missing their kids all the time. But now they have all this amazing family time, and it's a total mess schedule-wise, but they actually love it because of how much it's bringing them closer together. Totally. So let's, let's spend a quick minute on the technology side of the equation to bring it all full circle. Okay. So in her epic research book on iGen, that's the generation born between 1995 and 2012, Dr. Gene Twenge notes that there's been hockey stick growth in loneliness and isolation, especially amongst young adults and teens. And all this is directly tied to increased screen time, smartphone, and social media use. Now, on the same token, psychologist Sherry Turkle observed that smartphones actually reduce empathy, and 82% of adults feel that the way that their phones are used in social settings actually hurts communication. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen one of the dozen recent exposés that look at the harmful effects of too much screen time, most of which typically show that more than you know two hours a day outside using our devices for work can actually lead to anxiety and depression. Now, here comes the coronavirus pandemic, and we're shut in, facing global self-isolation, most of us working, being single or coupling, full-time parenting from home, and in a moment's time, nearly our whole lives have gone digital because we can't go to the office. We can't go to the gym, yoga, restaurants, can't travel, can't go to events, can't see friends or family, and can't even go to the grocery store without dressing up like astronauts. So, you know, naturally in this environment, the lure of technology, that becomes even more undeniable, right? We open our devices for those unquenchable dopamine and approval hits that we get in forms of likes, follows, and the endless corona news updates, which only serve to make us more fearful, right? So all of this is exacerbating the depression, anxiety, and isolation we are most probably already feeling from the deep uncertainty of this situation. Now, here's a big question. What if we were to reframe that? What if global self-isolation imposed by coronavirus offers a unique opportunity to re-examine how to better use and not use our devices in the internet to combat loneliness, improve our mental health, and cultivate more meaningful human connection. And that's exactly why we're going to focus our first episode on these seven practices to build more meaningful connection, support yourself, and feel better as we navigate all this. Now, keep in mind, these are just suggestions, and we use them, we find them valuable, but you know, try a few on, throw out what you, you know, you, that doesn't serve you, and don't sue us. 
Don't do us. So number one, Zoom, video conference, FaceTime, and Marco Polo win the day. Did you know that humans are capable of more than 250,000 facial expressions? While it has become increasingly popular to text versus talk, a growing body of research shows that face-to-face communication cultivates empathy and feeling connected. A topic Sherry Turkle richly explores in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, if you want to dig deeper. Using the various means of video conferencing at our disposal are critical for our mental health and feeling more connected to family, friends, and colleagues during this difficult time. But don't take it from us. Here's what a NASA commander who spent a year in a space station had to say about it. Even with all the responsibilities of serving as a commander of a space station, I never missed a chance to have a video conference with family and friends. Scientists have found that isolation is damaging not only to our mental health, but to our physical health as well, especially our immune systems. So So, so basically what you're saying is that right now we all have the potential to feel like we've spent a year in a space station. In in a weird way, yes. Totally. Totally totally insane. Yeah. In in, in our lives, just a quick story. We use Zoom for business, uh, most of the calls, a little bit of WebEx here and there. But Marco Polo is kind of our asynchronous communication. It's an app you can download on any of the platforms. And it just allows you to take quick videos and share them with your family and friends so that they can see you and um, you can feel more connected. And, and my you know, thought here is, can you imagine going through all this without these technologies? Like, thank goodness we have all these ways to connect and, and be with our loved ones. So you, you told me to download Marco Polo because we were going to use it for the podcast. And instead of notifications from you, I just get puppy videos. I just want to call that out to everybody. That's what <laughs> I, I get from I have Nate. a new puppy. He's very cute. He's very cute. So I, I'm actually challenging myself to three video calls a day outside of work with friends and family. It's been a huge difference for me and especially my 73-year-old mom who's been sheltering in place for seven weeks. My men's group has moved to Zoom and online group fitness and meditation have been total, total game changers. And I would say for anyone looking for a challenging body weight workout that also clears mental and emotional stress, I highly recommend the class.com and instructor JC Gossett in particular. And that's T-H-E-C-L-A-S-S.com. And for meditation, I've really enjoyed Jay Shetty's 20-minute live meditation, which he's been doing daily on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and just a side note, I know that we're all selecting improve my appearance on the Zoom settings these days. So don't be bashful and please get your lighting right as well. Now, number two, streamline your social media and your news feeds. Um, last month, I flew to San Francisco for the Wisdom 2.0 conference and I spent time with Dr. Vivek Murthy. Now, this guy is the 19th Surgeon General of the United States. And he's become an enormous authority on loneliness. And he stated that it was the most common condition he experienced as a doctor. And he also just published this amazing book called uh, Together, uh, focused on loneliness and human con- uh, loneliness and human connection. And that's actually at the, the top of my reading pile. And I started on Audible, and it is awesome so far. Now, he noted that often the way that we spend our time doesn't actually reflect our values, which on social media typically are looks, fame, wealth, power, and possession. So if you curate your social media feeds to reflect these things, the result is often a feeling of lack as opposed to inspiration, growth, fulfillment, and meaningful connection. And I've gone to 
pretty great lengths to make my social feeds a place for enrichment. So I follow people and accounts that inspire me and my growth, activities I enjoy or wish to learn more about, things that make me laugh, and the friends and family members who keep it real by posting authentically. And by doing that, I ensure my scrolling is time well spent, doesn't increase feelings of loneliness or feeling less than, and last but not least, I limit my Instagram to 30 minutes a day uh, using the screen time function on my uh, on my iPhone. Now, here's a challenge to any of you who've been trying to make your social feed look like everything is awesome. This is an opportunity to lean into authenticity and realize that being vulnerable is actually beautiful and powerful, especially in this moment in time we're in now. I definitely resonate with that. Um, I'm looking for that authenticity when I'm in my social apps. I will say that uh, I did um, take a two-year hiatus from Facebook. For those of you who have been feeling like you may want to spend a little bit of time away from a social app, I'm I'm on two years away from Facebook and haven't missed it at all. I haven't deleted my account, but I just don't use it. And that decision has been awesome for me and my family. So uh, consider that. Well, Facebook hasn't missed you either, Nate. Just <laughs> Now, speaking of Facebook, they did this study in 2014 that actually showed that if your news feeds skew positive, you will also feel more positive. So now take, take that into account when you think about the fact that you know news and media cycles during presidential election years are actually dominated by fear. And there's a lot of research that shows that. Now, when you add the specter of a worldwide pandemic, these headlines are totally overwhelming. And I've talked with a lot of friends and family uh, about this over the last eight weeks. And I feel super strongly that while ignoring the news is irresponsible, limiting news exposure throughout the day is absolutely critical. And I recommend disabling news notifications on devices with the exception of critical text or email-based notifications for whatever state, region, or city you live in. Now, I know this is deeply personal, but I feel that checking the news more than three times a day is totally detrimental to my productivity, mental state, and ability to stay present and show up for work, family, and friends. And I never, ever check the news within an hour of my bedtime because, like all of us, I need my rest. So, you know, the bottom line, guys, fear is paralyzing, and it prevents us from making sound and important decisions. So, limiting our device's ability to trigger fear, that's a critical step towards smart self-care. And, and, and this, is, this is a practice I really strongly encourage you to, to try, try out. Speaking of self-care, number three, move your body. Who would have thought that we'd be spending six to seven weeks and more, obviously it's going to be more, stuck in our homes to stay safe from a global pandemic? Clearly, social distancing is important, but it doesn't mean we should shut down and become a couch potato. Being cooped up isn't good for us. Picture a wilting flower. Whether you like it or not, and this is real talk, Americans are overweight and struggling with the related health issues. According to the CDC, over 42% of Americans are obese. Obesity has become a public health crisis in the United States, and it's linked to severe chronic disease, diseases such as type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, and cancer. And look, this is directly related to these pre-existing conditions that are challenges when it relates to coronavirus. So we just have to be mindful about getting out and moving our bodies, but there's more, you know, Kenneth Wright, the director of the health and sleep chronobiology laboratory at the university of Colorado Boulder says 
when you miss, you miss a lot when you surround yourself with walls and sunlight tops the list. Exposure to sun strength rays helps calibrate your body's circadian clock, which regulates everything from appetite and sleep schedules to mood and energy levels. So even if you aren't into running, biking, or high-intensity workouts, there are simple things you can do to make a big difference. Number one, walk. Appropriately protect yourself and then get outside, fill the sun, breathe the fresh air, and see the world. Two, soak up the sun. The sun provides important vitamin D, helps with energy, mood, and even sleep. Three, if possible, go be with nature. Pick a park, a forest, a grove of trees, a garden, the ocean. Visiting natural environments reconnects us with the earth, helps us feel centered, and boosts our vitality. So this one's essential for our family. If we don't exercise, we get cranky, including that new puppy I was just talking about. And my wife and I decided we were going to set a big exercise goal. We we had planned on running a bunch of races, Spartan and marathon races, and they all got canceled. So we are still running our own little F coronavirus marathon in May. So if you're struggling with feelings of being lethargic, distracted, pent up, sad, bored, lonely, anxious, etc., get out and move your body with the proper protection if you're outside, and I promise you will feel better. I'm still picturing that wilting flower. Right. What is now, what is the what is the F and F coronavirus marathon stand? You know for, what it means, baby. F That's true. coronavirus. Number four, create tech-free spaces. And this is a simple one, super simple. As most of us grapple with working from home while parenting out at school kids and looking after loved ones, you know, it's super challenging to know where the office ends and home life begins. We That is ground zero in my house every day. And we strongly believe that having a tech-free device-free space in the home is a key way to stay sane and create sacred space for building interpersonal connections and emotional intimacy, something we all need more of right now. And so we recommend keeping phones out of the bedroom altogether. And it's a practice that's strongly endorsed by our friend and relationship and couples expert, Esther Perel. Also, depending on your setup, keeping devices out of the kitchen or dining room to reserve those spaces for family time, conversation, and contemplation is also a good idea. A simple way to make this easy for everyone is to create a table tent that's a visual way for people just to see and kind of um, be reminded hey, this is a tech-free space. And so we, we've always been doing that in my family. Um, it's actually even before coronavirus, we had defined those tech-free spaces. And frankly, because we noticed it was a problem. So uh, we love to eat dinner together. We don't allow a screen at the dinner table. And then my wife and I, a couple of years ago, realized that phones in the bedroom, while convenient, were actually um, distracting, waking us up, et cetera. So uh, highly recommend both of those. Those are, those are really great recommendations, Nate. I love those. Um, number five, embrace solitude and boredom. So Sherry Turkle observed in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, that it's really not uncommon to mistake solitude for, for loneliness. And she said, quote, unquote, we slip into thinking that always being connected will make us less lonely but we're at risk because it is actually the reverse. If we are unable to be alone, we will be more lonely. When people are alone or feel a moment of boredom, they tend to reach for a device in a movie theater, at a stop sign, at the checkout line in the supermarket, and yes, at a memorial service. Reaching for a device becomes so natural that we start to forget that there is a reason, a good reason, to sit still with our thoughts. It does honor to what we are thinking about it does honor to ourselves. 
And I really love that quote. And I, and I become a big fan of Sherry's research. And, you know, as someone who's got many years of deep personal growth work under my belt, I understand that, you know, being alone with one's thoughts, especially in times of emotional distress can be really painful and super challenging. Um, but it's actually through solitude that we give ourselves time to reset, examine our values and determine where growth is needed. So solitude is a key ingredient to showing up more authentically and purposefully for ourselves and as well as for our relationships. So, you know, consider how to use this time of self-isolation as an opportunity for personal growth. On a similar token, boredom has benefits. So Sapiens author Yuval Noah Harari actually extors the benefits of boredom as a fountainhead for creativity and new ideas. And in a recent podcast, he said, quote unquote, the inability to deal with boredom is our greatest weakness. Now, I'm single parenting roughly 50% of the time with my four and a half year old son. But when I'm not, and when I'm not working or doing other self-care practices or connecting with friends, you know, meditation and journaling have been a huge part of what's kept me, you know, grounded and sane. So I, I, I used to meditate about 20 minutes a day. I'm now up to an hour a day, three times a day for 20 minutes and journaling, you know, every morning or every night and also keeping a gratitude journal just to keep that positive outlook going. Um, and it's been, it's, it's really been amazing for me. Um, here's a challenge for you guys. So what if instead of reaching for a device, you ask yourself a few questions like, number one, what emotion is most present in these moments of, of solitude? Two, how can I show up more authentically? Three, what can I choose to let go of? And four, and this is around goal setting, where do I want to be in six months? You know, a really good friend of mine, David Gardner, said that, you know, coronavirus pandemic is like halftime in the game of our lives. And this is a forced timeout where we have to sit on the bench and figure out how we want to play the rest of the game. And if you can think about, you know, solitude and boredom as an opportunity to do just that, you can come out of this even stronger than before. Uh, number six, support others to support yourself. So think about who you're called to support in this time and use, you guessed it, video conferencing to connect with them. And when you don't have time to video conference or Zoom or FaceTime, send them texts or emails to let them know you're thinking of them and just ask how they're doing. Check in. There's so many studies that show that doing service and supporting others is a surefire way to get out of your own head and feelings of loneliness. And lastly, if you feel compelled Share on social what you're doing for your self-care. You know, we're all fighting cabin fever, deep uncertainty, massive change, and possibly even the virus itself. So acknowledging the ways in which you're caring for yourself and your own mental, emotional, and physical health, that encourages other people to do the same. And I'll close this one with a quote that both Nate and I love, and this is from Muhammad Ali. And he said, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. That's so good. I, I love um, that feeling you get when you help others. Even the most simple thing, it's just such a dopamine hit to make a difference. So that takes us to number seven, empathy now. Tell the people in your circle that you love them. If you're not a person who says I love you a lot, this is a perfect time to just start, practice. Thank the people who help you every day in large and small ways. 
post gratitude to the frontline workers who are carrying us in this challenging time. Make time physically or digitally to sit with your spouse, family, kids, friends, and teams at work. Look them in the eyes and ask, how are you doing? How's your family? What are you worried about? What are you looking forward to? How can I help? You know, create space for them to share what's really going on for them. And it's totally normal to feel sadness, grief, loss, stress, and even anger right now. You know, in these unprecedented times, empathy is a powerful way to connect, bond, and just let it out. That's uh, the the whole concept of what you shared really moves me. And I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, to go back to, you know, Vivek Murthy in the conference I was at, you know, he said when he was on stage, more powerful than all the prescriptions I wrote is the power of love. I love it. I love it. That's so, our list. That's right? our list. Yep. Our recommendation is to keep it simple and pick the ones that resonate with you. It's fine. You know, try it on, throw it out if it doesn't work. The most important thing is to take care of yourself and others by far. So uh, coming back to the beginning, we said, hey, if you want to stick around and if you're still with us, thank you. This is the opportunity for the deeper cut. And uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how do we get into this? Where did it all start? So here's kind of how that happened. Alex and I met, we began having one-on-one conversations about, you know, where the world is headed, the, the magnitude of disruption that's coming. And, and we started sharing our perspectives and what we were reading, our research, and came to this shared conclusion that not enough people are having this conversation. And so uh, we thought, well, why don't we help, even if from home? And this is a perfect opportunity. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your journey to this podcast? Thanks, Nate. Absolutely. So nearly everything I've done professionally since college has focused on finding purposeful work for people. So I spent seven years working in talent management, where I was guiding careers of actors, writers, and producers. And then I spent eight years as a business development and growth executive in the technology and digital transformation space where I was sourcing projects for my teams. And most recently, the past six years, I was working for Publicis.Sapient, formerly Sapient Nitro, and they're an elite player in the digital transformation space. So the work that I brought in focused on creating custom data, technology design, and organizational change solutions for Fortune 500 companies And that work resulted in a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue, but more important, tens of thousands of hours in project work for my team members and and employees across the globe. My clients included Marriott, Ralph Lauren, AB InBev, Comcast, Lowe's, Nestle, Barclays, uh, Corteva, which is the largest agricultural business in the world, and more recently, Wawa. And I just want to note there are so many things to love about Wawa and their meatball hoagie is ridiculous. Now, all of that said, I feel called to make a bigger and more personal impact. And that's why Nate and I started the Disrupted Workforce. So initially, my own research was focused on answering one simple but profound question, which is what do humans do when robots do everything? But Now we're dealing with a much bigger work evolution and challenge with coronavirus sheltering in place and the recession. 
So today, our work revolves around the core belief that there is an urgent and unique opportunity to reskill and rehumanize the workforce to thrive in these disruptions and also find more joy, connection, and purpose in all that makes us human. Now, obviously, you know, the most important thing is to protect and take care of one another, but that doesn't mean it's time to lose sight of these digital disruptive forces that will continue to reshape the world that we live in. And in fact, we actually believe that automation and artificial intelligence are going to be accelerated by this pandemic and recession. I want to share openly, I also feel called to this work because of personal challenges I've faced over the years. I was bullied pretty badly as a kid from age 6 to 14. I suffered loneliness and isolation in my teenage years. I struggled with uh, addiction a bit in my 20s. And I lost my father really suddenly five years ago. And he was my best friend and mentor. And more recently, I went through a divorce, which thankfully has turned out great for everyone involved. But in spite of all that, I've actually never been happier And I really attribute that to a growth mindset and a radical ability to actually cope with profound and difficult change. So today in my spare time, I lead a men's group focused on personal growth, authentic communication, and empathy. I work with charities teaching mindfulness and connection to at-risk kids, and I help individuals struggling with addiction. And I'm also a father of an amazing four-and-a-half-year-old boy, and I care so deeply about my son's development and the world that he's going to grow up in. And I want that world to be one where people are fulfilled by purposeful work and the strong human connections that give our lives meaning. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for my struggles, um, whether it be loneliness, isolation, or addiction, because they cultivated resilience, right? And they propelled me to upgrade my human skills and also develop a talent for building meaningful relationships. And, you know, nowadays I have real empathy and compassion for others who are experiencing a similar brand of loneliness, isolation, or emotional hardship. And that drives absolutely everything that I do. I love that. Uh, Thank you for that window into your world and intention, Alex. As for me, the, the last 20 years I've been focused on transformation work personally, professionally, and in my contribution work. I've been obsessed with this simple question. How do we close the gap between where we are and where we want to go? In some form, we're all trying to answer that question as an individual, in a team, as an organization, as a country, and now as humanity. Professionally, you know, I'm I'm an award-winning transformation leader with 20 years of experience across five industries, tech, healthcare, media, financial, and real estate. Most recently, I was the vice president of strategy and innovation at a global asset management firm. In that role, I led transformation work and created the first ever future work program focused on surfing the wave of disruption by creating a culture of continuous learning, improvement, and innovation. Being on the front lines of disruption and transformation for the last 20 years has provided tremendous experience and perspective for what it will take for leaders and professionals to thrive in the future. And when people ask me what it takes to be great with transformation work, I say it takes going through some really tough experiences, being gritty, resilient, and learning and growing through it. That's what builds character and experience. Big change and transformation aren't easy, and they're almost always messy. 
So get comfortable with it. As I look back at my life, the moments where I grew the most were the big challenges, such as growing up in poverty, losing close friends to a drinking and driving accident, my brother's car accident, having an unplanned pregnancy, going through a recession, losing a business. You know, these are moments where I had a choice. I can either give up, fall apart, or I can reinvent myself. And that grit and those reinvention moments are the heart of transformation work. In terms of contribution, I've been speaking, leading teams, and coaching at U.S. and international youth leadership events for the last 12 years. And the reason I'm so passionate about youth leadership development is simple. These teens and young adults are the future leaders of this world in our schools, our communities, companies, and beyond, which means they will be the leaders of my kids. I'm investing in our future now by doing everything I can to help them achieve their potential and make a powerful, positive impact. And finally, I feel called to this work because I deeply believe we have to be talking about the future workforce because it will be different than any generation before it. Um, if you thought the last 20 years brought mind-blowing change and innovation, buckle your seatbelt because the next 10 years of disruption and transformation are set to change the world, how we live, work, and what it means to be human. I thought that before coronavirus and the new recession hit, I am doubling down on that belief now. So we don't have enough people talking about the magnitude of what's happening, and we hope this podcast will help us all prepare. So let's prepare together. As we would say in the suburbs of Boston where I grew up, my boy Nate is wicked smart. <laughs> so congratulations, guys. If you're still here, you made it to the end of our first episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you like what you heard, please sure to give us a rating. Five-star reviews are absolutely acceptable. And you can write us a review and share this podcast with your friends or family. We would totally appreciate that as well. And thank you again so much for tuning in. In our next episode, we are going to dive into the state of the U.S. workforce and unemployment, as well as who is hiring and where the opportunities are, and then pair that with a frank discussion of what great leadership looks like now at work, as well as what practices can be adapted for your home and for your communities. So thank you again. Uh, please stay safe out there, stay responsible, and uh, we're all in this together. And um, see you soon. <laughs>